You are listening to season 1 episode 3 of Threads of Impact inspiring change one story at a time. Welcome to Threads of Impact a student led podcast at UC Berkeley School of Public Health. Our goal is to highlight public health challenges and achievements through conversation with students, faculty and thought leaders to inspire meaningful change. I'm your host Susan Awar and I'm here today with a very special guest, Jay Graham, who is an assistant professor in residence in the Environmental Health Sciences Division. A very warm welcome to you, Professor Jay. Thank you so much. Yeah. We're so happy to have you here today. Thank you for making time despite all the activities you're involved in. So could we kick start the discussion with you telling us a little bit about your background and work in public health? Definitely. I um I started I you know I never I discovered public health uh in my late 20s and I'd never heard of this this field of work. And so when I discovered it, I really got excited because I'd been working in the the field of environmental sciences and um i wanted to move towards things that had more of an impact on on uh human health i discovered this branch of public health called environmental health and i was really excited and i went to get my master of public health on the us mexico border around 1998 and i from that moment on i began working in the area of water supply sanitation and hygiene and really looking at ways that you can improve these services so that people can you know have better health and reduced infections especially in children. Oh wow that is that those are some great achievements right there thank you for sharing. Uh, now I will go straight to your research in Ecuador could you please tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, one of the things that was really interesting I thought when I was um working on water supply sanitation and hygiene and I was mainly working on these projects in the context of projects that were funded by the US Agency for International Development. I I would notice that, you know, a lot of communities were really improving sanitation and removing human fecal contamination from the environment. but they were not removing animal fecal contamination and so i became really fascinated with understanding whether the presence of animal feces in the human environment around the household might be affecting human health so i was looking for partnerships to conduct this research and i found a, a veterinarian um in ecuador who is really interested in zoonotic infectious diseases so these these diseases that can spread between humans and other animal species. Mm-hmm. And so we started a study about a little over 10 years ago to look at the exchange of enteric pathogens. So the pathogens, these are organisms that cause disease in the gut. So they cause diarrhea in children. So we focused on this exchange of enteric pathogens between animals and children in Ecuador in this community where they had a lot of backyard animals. So they might have a few pigs or chickens. And while we were there we noticed that there was a lot of antibiotic use happening and that animals were actually given antibiotics 
um, in a way that wasn't probably uh, considered appropriate use. And so we began to look at the spread of drug resistant bacteria between animals and children. And so that's kind of the work I've been doing is looking at how antibiotic use in animals can potentially affect the spread of these drug resistant bacteria to humans. Oh, great. Uh, just picking up from that, can you just share a little bit more on the drivers of, I know you've mentioned about uh, fecal matter in water and uh, also farmers giving their animals antibiotics in ways that are not appropriate, but could you just highlight some other drivers of antimicrobial resistance and what is being done to address the issue? There is, this is a great question and there, it, and it's a great question because there's so many drivers and there's so many things that are happening on different levels. So we have a human use of antibiotics and a lot of that use all over the world is considered inappropriate. So we're using antibiotics to treat viral infections. And so that's a very common phenomenon uh, that happens with antibiotics in humans. Um, but we also misuse antibiotics with animals. And so we're in the, in, in the United States, for example, there's an estimate that 75% of the antibiotics that are used within the United States go for raising animals that we consume for food. And so we also in public health believe that that's an important driver of antibiotics microbial resistance. So right now we've seen uh, a rapid uh, increase in the prevalence of certain types of drug resistant organisms. And a lot of these are, it's an order of bacteria called Enterobacterales. And we're seeing a lot of um, resistance to these really broad spectrum antibiotics. And so the World Health Organization and the Pan American Health Organization and the CDC and other uh, organizations are really working to address this on multiple levels. So antibiotic use in humans, antibiotic use in livestock and animals. And also we see these organisms being spread through environmental pathways from wastewater that ends up being used as irrigation water in, on crops. So that's another sort of in a way that these organisms can spread to, to people through the food supply. So there's a lot of work trying to understand where is the biggest problem in terms of antibiotic resistance and then how do we prevent uh, control this spread. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. It was actually going to be my next question. I was kind of curious about humans consuming poultry that has been treated with antibiotics, maybe to accelerate growth. And I was wondering if it has anything to do with antimicrobial resistance, but you just answered that in your previous answer. So thank you. Uh, maybe to go a little bit further, what advice do you give to the patient who is prescribed antibiotics all the time? Uh, like you mentioned, this is a com common phenomenon uh, to treat viral or bacterial infections or just a, just a child presenting to a health center with fever, a few blood tests done and antibiotics uh, prescribed. The same goes for women with... Uh, uh, gynecology infections, they'll take several different classes of antibiotics over a long period of time. So 
what advice do you give to this patient? What should they have in mind before going to see a doctor? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's an issue that needs to be addressed at several levels. So there's sort of the level at the diagnostic, sort of the di diagnostic side. So helping people understand whether their infection is viral or bacterial will be really useful. And so there are some new diagnostics where you can, for example, if someone comes in with a, uh, a urinary tract infection, they can actually, you know, determine whether um, what the organism is resistant to. And so that way you can kind of understand, oh, if we prescribe this antibiotic, that will uh, cure that urinary tract infection. So there's, there's some work that I think needs to happen on the diagnostic side. We definitely don't want to keep antibiotics uh, from people who need them. So we definitely want to treat infections uh, that are caused by bacteria, but sometimes there aren't the resources to understand if it's bacterial or viral, or maybe it's something else. So that's improving sort of the health, doing health system strengthening is really important for understanding that. Um, and then I think, you know, on the patient side, we really need patients not pushing for antibiotics. Antibiotics aren't uh, great for people to take unless they're, they're truly needed. And so we want to really diminish the overuse of antibiotics. Um, and, and a lot of times people will come in and demand antibiotics for things that are respiratory infections that are most commonly caused by viruses. So we wanna stop that practice and really, really begin to understand that this is, these antibiotics are a resource that are for everyone. And in order for that resource to remain you know, important to our health, we have to really guard it and treat it uh, with a lot of respect. So that's, I guess that's the, um, you know, sort of the words of, uh, that I would encourage people to uh, think about. To think about, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, and then just something else that comes to mind. Uh, what happens when the highest class of an antibiotic has been used in for a patient and nothing else can be given? Uh, what's the verdict? Well, we do have patients that die from multi-drug resistant infections. Sure. So there are cases where we're, we're beginning to lose patients uh, from these infections. But one of the things that's been interesting is that there was a drug um, that was, it's a, it's a very, it's a toxic drug. It's called colistin and mm -hmm. it's very toxic to the kidneys. And it was being used to raise livestock and poultry. And they realized like, this is, you know, an, a drug that we could turn to if we do see resistance to a last line antibiotic. And so, but the problem was because we were using it with livestock and poultry, it was already, we'd already seen resistance develop in bacteria that were in the animals, in the food supply and humans. So a lot of countries now are banning the use of that drug. So I do think there are things we can do to really control sort of these last line antibiotics. Um, but it, you know, there's a lot of different sort of interventions that need to take place yeah. from sort of preventing the spread of bacteria in general 
and then controlling use um, yeah, and making so it more use appropriate. Use of the drugs, yes, exactly. Uh, for instance, uh, in, in many countries, especially in Africa, antibiotics are readily available in drug shops and they can be purchased without prescription. So I think that's also a point where you can limit limit the use of antibiotics by limiting their availability in drug shops. Yeah, you're, that is an excellent point and one that I should have uh, highlighted that that over-the-counter over use is a real problem. And, and I think because they're so available, like in my site in Ecuador, you can go into any veterinary shop and there are antibiotics basically hanging over-the-counter that you can buy really inexpensively. And so this is a big issue of just controlling the use. Oh, wow, thanks. And lastly, how can we raise public awareness to fight this huge problem of antimicrobial resistance? Well, I think you're, well, I think you're doing it. I mean, I think that this, this type of podcast and just really improving the way we communicate with the public is an excellent way to sort of begin to have this understanding of this resource that we're potentially losing, you know, become more, you know, that knowledge to become more common in the, in the minds of, of, you know, people who don't work in the area of public health. So I think the things that, the things that you're doing uh, are important. And I think we need to continue to, you know, put some pressure on our, our elected officials to make policy um, that would improve public health and reduce sort of overuse and misuse of antibiotics. Oh, great, thanks. Thank you so much, Professor Jay, for this very informative session. Uh, it, this area of antimicrobial resistance is very, very interesting. And yeah, we've learned a lot. So thank you for coming to our podcast. Do you have any final last words for our listeners? No, I appreciate you organizing this podcast on this topic. I do think it's important and we're seeing, you know, global increase, rapid increases. And part of that is because of the way that certain resistance genes are spread. Um, but I really appreciate you having this conversation with me. Oh, thanks. Thank you. And with that, we've come to the end of today's episode. Thank you for listening in. If you have any inquiries or feedback, please email us at podcastquestions underscore sph at berkeley.ed.